But this morning, uh, just invite you to, um, to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. And uh, I'll, I'll just give you the reference in a moment. Just Matthew chapter 1. We'll start there. Maybe the reference is already up there, but Matthew chapter 1. We are starting um, just a new series. It's only going to be for a few weeks in the month of December. And uh, the series is just simply called Presence. That's the name of our series. And, and I think um, uh, that word present in the English language can mean a few different things. You're probably going to get a present or two under the tree. And that's not the present that I'm talking about. The present that I'm talking about is proximity, where, where you are present with someone. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you know that they're there physically, but they are not there? Anyone ever been there? You know, how frustrating is that, right? You're sitting across the table from them, perhaps you're talking, and uh, maybe you're sitting in a restaurant, and, and every time someone walks by, they look that direction, or uh, they're nodding, but you know, you know, they're really not hearing you. They're not present. Uh, perhaps they're on their phone, and every time that thing dings, it takes their attention away from you, and it just begins to drive you crazy. You been there? I think we all have. So when I use this word present, I'm talking about proximity, where we come back to this thought for a few weeks that God is present, that he is actively involved in your life, and we may not always be aware of his presence, but we can know that God is near and that's the whole message of Christmas, that, that Jesus came, that God came, that, that there's this proximity that he came and he drew near to us, and then we can now know his presence in our lives. And so for a few weeks, we're going to look at this topic that simply is titled present, God with us and God for us. And Matthew is going to help us to unpack that a little bit this morning. I was listening to CBC Radio 1, and... Um, uh, I think I've mentioned this before, in, my, in our van I have two stations that I listen to, CHRI or CBC Radio 1. And so often I'll turn that on and, and uh, I'm listening to CBC this week, and they begin to talk about how uh, each generation, the, the gift giving looks different from the generation before. Uh, and that, the reason is this, that as, as change comes, you know, our generation can't really predict what gifts will look like a uh, hundred years from now. But if the Lord tarries, if he doesn't come back, there's going to be a lot of different things that our great, great, great grandchildren get that we wouldn't even be aware of. It's not even in our imagination. And so this, this, uh, this radio host was talking about how man, there, there's a difference to the gifts that you will give your children this Christmas than children would have got 100 years ago. And um, I was thinking about the example of a phone. Some of you, um, how many of you have a phone on your Christmas list? You don't have to show me your your hands, but some of you um, in this room may get a phone for Christmas. And how many of you have parents, as parents, know that that's often a means of communication now with your children? So even as husbands and wives, how many of you have been in this scenario? You're upstairs doing something, your husband or wife are downstairs, and you get a text. Who's it from? It's from someone in the same house, right? Some of you are like, really, that happens? Yeah, it does. Have Carolyn and I done that? Yeah, we have. <laughs> Try not to make that our main means of communication, but um, this thing called text, you know, your phone can do uh, things that a phone re- really never uh, was meant to do. Um, I was reading a, a story about a, a father and a daughter that were having a conversation by text. Let me read it for you. I think you'll find, uh, you'll find it humorous. Daughter, text goes out to her dad. Dad, there's a moth 
on the outside of the bathroom door. Can you get rid of it? No response. Text again from the daughter. Please hurry because I'm going to cry. Again, no response. Another text from the daughter. Dad? Dot, dot, dot. Dad? Finally, there's a response from dad's cell phone. And it reads this. Dad is dead. You're next. Love, moth. (laughs) Isn't that mean? Don't get any ideas. Who would have thought that dads, you would be um, communicating with your daughters via text, right? Generation ago, two generations ago, we wouldn't have thought that. It's hard to predict what might be coming. This morning, we're going to look at a scripture uh, and this thought that God began in the Old Testament, God began to drop some hints all the way through the Old Testament. He began to drop some hints that, that began to point to something that was coming. And I want to read a scripture for you uh, that peeks in on this, on this guy named Joseph, and it's Matthew one twenty one. And, and there's no way Joseph could have predicted what was coming in his lifetime, but here's an ordinary guy, and, uh, and we, we pick it up at the point in which um, he's really got some bad news in his life. And so he was looking forward to a day that was coming up. It was his wedding day. There was this young lady named Mary, and um, he was in love with Mary. He was excited to get married to her. They had been betrothed to one another. So in their culture, what that meant is they had already publicly committed to one another. They had exchanged some vows in some way, but they weren't yet married. So the wedding ceremony was being planned, but they were betrothed. And to be betrothed to someone was as good as as marriage in the sense that you were committed to that person. It's kind of like being engaged in our day and age, only you kind of did it in a public way. You made some commitment to one another publicly. And so uh, Joseph is looking forward to this day, and then, um, you know, the dream that he was kind of looking forward to kind of starts to turn into a nightmare. And he gets this news from Mary, and the the news is this, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And Joseph knows that he's not the father. And so Joseph just begins to think, what do we do? What's the way forward in this situation? How... How do I, as a young man, how do I handle this kind of news from, from my fiance when, when she's with child and I know I'm not the father? What, what devastating news that he had to just somehow wrestle with as a young man. And so he begins to think, okay, what are my options? And the option that he decided on was he decided, Scripture says, he decided to divorce Mary quietly. Remember that to be betrothed was as, really was as good as being married. Ceremony hadn't come yet, but... He decided this, I'm going to divorce Mary quietly. And there's a few reasons for that. One of the reasons was he knew that under Mosaic law, if you were caught in adultery, the extent of the law said that you could be stoned for adultery. And so he, he must have, this must have been part of his thinking where how, you know, how do I just quietly divorce Mary, first of all, so that perhaps she won't face death, and secondly, so that, you know, the, the shame that she's going to experience is going to be minimized. Scripture says that Joseph was, was a good man. He wanted the best for Mary in spite of the fact that it looked as though, uh, you know, she had committed adultery. And so he's made up his mind, this is the decision, and I'm just going to divorce Mary quietly. He goes to sleep one night, and God knows that uh, he, needs, he needs to know that this is not the plan. <laughs> and so God sends an angel 
And in the midst of the, his, uh, his sleep, there's a dream that he has. An angel of the Lord appears to him. And the message is this, Joseph, don't do it. That's not what I'm asking you to do in this instance. And the reason is this, the life that is growing in Mary's womb has been placed there by God. That, that this is a divine moment where, where Mary's womb is being used to house a life that God has placed there. And, and, he, and he, says to, he says to Joseph, don't divorce Mary. In fact, you're going to have a baby boy. Mary's going to have a baby boy. And I want you to name him Jesus. And we find that in Matthew 1, 21, you are to call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And can you imagine this young man, probably 17 or 18 years old, he's, he's, he's had this visitation from an angel of the Lord, and, and the message is, Joseph, no, what you thought was the right thing to do, don't do that, because God is in this. God has a plan in this. And, and, and Joseph begins to understand there's, there's something that he's been called to do. And with this announcement, can we put it this way, with this announcement, Joseph was being led in on an incredible bit of news, and, and I want to put it this way, and the title of my message is, A Better Joshua, a better Joshua. You see, if you've been with us for the last number of weeks, we've been looking at the story of Joshua. We've been looking at what God did through Joshua's leadership. Joshua was called to lead a nation through an important time in their history, that they were no longer going to be wandering in the desert, but they were going to move on to some good things in God. And Joshua was the man that God had called to lead them into this place. And so, uh, Joseph would have heard the story of Joshua. He would have, being, being a descendant of David, being of the tribe of Judah, as a young boy, his parents would have told him the stories, you know, this is how our nation began, and, and this is how uh, we were led out of slavery. And there's this guy named Joshua, you know, he probably would have been one of Joseph's heroes. There's this guy named Joshua that led us as a nation to do great ex- exploits for God, we, we as a nation began to find our inheritance as this guy named Joshua began to lead us. And they were enemies defeated. There was the story of Jericho, how that city was overthrown, and God was doing some incredible things. And so Joseph probably would have seen Joshua as one of his heroes as a boy. And so an angel appears to him and says, you're going to have a son, and here's what I want you to name him. I want you to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And in that moment, it's very possible that Joseph's mind would have gone to that man, Joshua. Why is that? Because Joshua is the Hebrew name for Yeshua, and Jesus is the Greek name Yeshua. So this is why. Joshua and Jesus carry the same name. It's the same meaning. And so when, when, when he began, when he, when he understood what Joshua's role was, Joshua was a savior of sorts, right? Through Joshua, the, des, the, the desert wanderings ended and they were brought into the promised land. And, and then the angel says to him, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him Yeshua, which is the same name, the Hebrew name for Joshua. He's going to carry the same name as Joshua. And this is what your son is going to do. He's going to be a savior. Only he's going to save people from their sins, there's a different work that your son is going to do, but, but there was this connection, this immediate connection that, that Joseph would have been able to make in his mind. And so name your little boy Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You know, something was happening in that moment that was significant. 
And, and I'm, I'm sure it wasn't lost on Joseph. He began to think, you know, Jesus is going to be someone great. God has some plans for this little baby that I don't know about yet, but I know that there's something significant that God is going to do because he said that you're gonna, I'm going to name him Jesus. I'm going to name him Savior. And he has a work that God's called him to do. And so if we look at Joshua, when we say Jesus was a better Joshua, there's something about Joshua that, that we're brought to this morning, and that is Joshua was a type of Christ. Joshua was a type of Christ. What is a type? A type is a representation of what is coming in the future. And so 1,400 years before uh, Jesus came, there was this man named Joshua that began through his life, began to speak of a work that Jesus was going to do that would, would affect you and I in our lifetime. He's a type. He, began, he points prophetically to what Jesus is going to do. And so a type is a representative of what's coming in the future. I was thinking, you know, how do, how do we look at this in kind of a modern way? And I was thinking, you know, the automotive world, uh, Bob will appreciate this. So, have you heard of a prototype? You probably have. Manufacturers, when they're thinking of a car that they want to create and they want to bring to market sometime in the future, they will create a prototype. And a prototype has elements of what's coming. It's not quite completed yet. Uh, it may not even be completely drivable yet. And, and so what they'll do is in their testing, they'll disguise it. So this is some car. We don't know what it is, but it's a prototype. They're beginning to test it. They don't really want you to know what the final product looks like yet. So if you ever see a car like this, you think, no, that's not someone who has a crazy sense of style. No, it's a manufacturer that's beginning to road test a prototype, and it's not quite ready to, to, to be brought to public yet. But there's parts of this car that, that point to something that's coming in the future. A, a prototype is something that, that future things will be modeled uh, after. And so in, in terms of the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, there are types of Christ. There are prototypes, so to speak. There, there are people that God uses in a certain way, and it's meant to begin to give us a hint that there's someone coming who will do something similar, but in a much greater way, and that person is Jesus. And that is part of the, the purpose of the Old Testament is to begin to point you to Jesus. So anytime you're reading through the Old Testament, you will come across hints that God begins to drop. Some of them are very specific. Some of them are prophetic words, like he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's where the Messiah is going to come from. He's, he's going to be given a name, the Prince of Peace. That's going to be the identity of the Messiah. But there's these types of Christ that we find all through the Old Testament. Someone has said, that, that when you look at Scripture, it's like there's two funnels. And the center point of Scripture is the, is the birth and the life and the death of Jesus. That's like the dot that everything flows toward and out of. So if you think of the Old Testament as a funnel in, in history where God begins to point to Jesus and it narrows down to this point where there's an announcement to a young man who doesn't know what to do in this situation and the, and the angel says to him, this son is going to save people from their sins. The Old Testament points to Jesus in all kinds of ways. And then from there, history begins to expand out to the point where Jesus will return again. And so we, we live in the part of the funnel that's expanding. It's, it's looking forward to when Jesus comes a second time. You know, your life is meant to look like that. That there's this moment in your life where you are meant to experience 
the saving work of Jesus in your life. And, and your life can look like this. It can be a funnel that is before Christ, before you come to that place of understanding what he's done for you. And there's all kinds of history back there. But you can, you can look back and you can begin to say, I can see where there's moments where God began to speak to me about my need, where God began to put a hunger in me and a thirst in me to discover something more, and, and I began to realize that it was, it was his presence that I was missing in my life. And you can look at your life as that funnel that narrows down and down and down to that moment where you realize, Jesus, I understand where you, what you've done for me, and I accept that by faith. And there's that before, there's that BC, right, before Christ. And then you're meant to begin to live a life that, that experiences the life of Christ in you. And your life is expanding out from that moment where you put your faith in Jesus and where you begin to walk knowing the presence of God in your life. And so your life is meant to look the same way in that sense before Christ and after. He's, he's meant to make a difference in your life. Have you experienced what Jesus has come to do in your life? And so, so when we look at Joshua, he was a type of Jesus. We see in him some characteristics that begin to hint at what Jesus was going to do. Let's look at the similarities first. What are the similarities between Joshua and Jesus? How can we say, you know, there's things, things about Joshua's life that God meant to begin to point us to someone coming in the future who would do even greater things, but similar things? First slide. Well, first of all, he had the same name, right? 1,400 years before Jesus came. And do you realize that Moses changed his name to Joshua? If you look in the book of Numbers, Joshua's name was Hosea, and, and it meant Savior. Yeshua means God saves, So Moses said to Joshua, just before he went in to spy out the land, he said, I'm changing your name, it's going to become Joshua. It's going to be Yeshua. And so first of all, Joshua and Jesus have the same name. That's one similarity that we can see, where Joshua's life begins to point forward to Jesus. Another thing is this, that their life mission began at the Jordan River. Remember when when it came time for the the Israelite nation to, to walk across that river, to walk into a new place in their history? Uh, that was the demarcation point, and, and God said to Joshua, listen, be strong and courageous because you're leading these people to a new place, a new experience in their walk with me. Jesus was baptized at the Jordan River, and it was then that God began to work in him in a formal way in his ministry. He went to, the, he went to be tried by the devil in the desert, and then we, he began his ministry. He began to uh, heal people. He began to overcome uh, Satan and sickness and all of the things that Jesus did. And so Joshua and Jesus began their ministry at the Jordan River. Another thing that, that is similar is that they were both obedient to what God had called them to do. You know, Joshua just simply said, yes, if this is what you have for my life, then I'm gonna follow your direction for my life. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wrestled with what God had called him to do, but he said, Father, not my will but yours. And so they were both obedient to what God had called them to do. Another similarity, they both appointed 12 leaders. So Joshua appointed 12 men, 12 leaders that would begin to help him to lead the Israelites into freedom. Jesus, how many apostles did he gather around him? There was 12 apostles that, uh, that Jesus gathered around him. Another similarity, they both led the people into uh, the promised land, into freedom, into this place where they began 
to experience God's goodness in their lives in a new way. And so there's some similarities. When we look at Joshua, we can begin to say, you know, Joshua was a type of Christ. There were some things he did that pointed to someone that was coming. But, but this is really where the similarities end. And, you know, where Joshua's role was significant, he was a good man. He loved God. He served God wholeheartedly. There's some similarities that we find in his life, in Jesus' life and ministry. But this is where, this is where things end, and this is where we begin to look at the differences between Joshua and Jesus. And this is where the title of my message comes from, that we needed a better Joshua. And God knew that we needed someone more than a man, more than a man that, that although he was wholeheartedly devoted to God and he, God did some amazing things through him, God knew that you and I needed a better Joshua. And Joshua's life pointed to someone who was so much greater that there's no comparison. There's really no comparison between Joshua and Jesus when you look at it. And so what are the differences? And, and the first one we come to is that there's a natural versus a spiritual battle that is the reality of the dimension in which Joshua worked and Jesus worked. You see, Joshua fought the battles uh, and, and came to victory with carnal weapons, with weapons that were physical. He won victories with, with the steel of a sword. His victory is in the natural realm. And, and Jesus, on the other hand, wins battles in the human heart. And he brings you victory over sin. And he brings victory over Satan and, and all that Satan tries to do in our lives and in our world. And so Jesus begins to do things that Joshua could never hope to do in your life and in my life. Jesus leads us to victory over those giants in our lives that only he can bring victory over. And so Jesus begins to work in a spiritual realm, and that's the realm in which he works in your life. He'll work in your life in a physical way as well. He'll bring healing. He's, able, he's overcome sickness. He's able to do that. But God knew we didn't just need Joshua, we needed Jesus. You don't just need a good man, you need Jesus. You need God himself, the presence of God in your life, to bring victory in your life in the way that only Jesus can. And so there's no comparison when you begin to look at Joshua and Jesus. What's another difference? Well, Joshua brought the people to a temporary inheritance, but God, and through Jesus, has brought us into an eternal inheritance. You know, some of you someday may receive an inheritance from your parents or from perhaps a relative. And you know, that's, that's a good thing, right? It, it, it's a blessing that's passed on to you, but it's temporary. It, it can buy you stuff, right? It can help you to pay off your house. That's not such a bad thing. It can help you to, um, to maybe bless your children. And so we know what it is to have this this temporary inheritance, but that's what it is. It's temporary. And so when Jesus came, he leads you and I into an inheritance that's eternal, that not only is his presence at work in your life today, but there is an eternity that he calls you to be part of and to be blessed in, that when this temporary life ends, that because of Jesus, you can step into an eternity with God, and one day you will stand before God, and so will I. And in that moment, we won't point to ourselves and say, God, I can stand here in eternity because of what I've done. But you'll point to Jesus. Jesus will save you and I from our sins. He will bring an eternal inheritance into our lives. 
And so Jesus is a better Joshua. God knew that we needed Jesus. We didn't need a temporary inheritance. A couple of other things that that Jesus has done for us. Joshua brought physical rest, but Jesus brings eternal rest. You know, there's a time in which Joshua led the people and and the battles were finished and they had this time of peace. There were no longer physical um, uh, wars that they were engaged in, and that was good. But how many of you know that we need an internal peace, an internal peace in our lives that only Jesus can bring? And so when, when when Joseph heard that message, Jesus is here and he is going to save people from their sins. He is going to lead us into an eternal peace then that's what Jesus can do in your life. We've already talked about this theme of peace, that Jesus can bring a peace in your life that only he can bring. He is the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. And so God knew when he looked at humanity, he knew that we needed a better Joshua. The prototype wasn't gonna cut it, although it was pointing to something better that was coming. You and I live in that time in history where we can experience the real deal. We can experience the saving work of Jesus in our lives. And so this morning, you needed Jesus. You didn't need Joshua. You needed Jesus. And finally, that Joshua brings a temporary work, and and Jesus brings an ongoing work in our lives. You see, Joshua's work came to an end. There was a moment in which Joshua gathered the people, and he said, I, I want to just encourage you again to follow God. We've talked about this at, at one point a few Sundays ago. And, um, and then he went, on to, he, he went on to his eternal rest. He went on to step into eternity. Jesus brings a, a work that is, that is not temporary, but is ongoing. You know, Jesus, although he has, is no longer uh, physically with us on earth, his, his work in your life continues, right? He, the scripture says that he's at the right hand of God interceding for you right now, that Jesus is interceding for you, that his presence is available in your life, that he is present. And so Joshua's work ended, but Jesus' work will never end. He still brings victory over fear and over despair and hopelessness. Jesus still brings healing to the brokenness of our human condition, and he's in our midst right now, and he's able to do that work in your life that Joshua could never hope to do for you. And so God knew that we needed a better Joshua. And the thing that just kept resonating in my heart as I was preparing for this message and I was thinking about our time this morning is just that thought that, God, you knew we needed a better Joshua. We needed Jesus. And if there's anything that we're reminded of this Christmas, it's that we needed Jesus, that God knew that humanity needed a Savior. And he needed to send his son so that we could experience an inward peace in our lives, so that we could experience an eternal rest and an eternal hope. And only Jesus can do that for you today. Only Jesus can do those things in your life. And if you're putting your hope in any other person other than the Son of God, then you're not finding what only Jesus can do for you. And this morning... As we, as we come to a close, I'm just going to ask us to stand. And I've been a little bit shorter this morning. But I want to leave you with that thought that we needed a better Joshua. And this morning that we come back to that thought as we just close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you have done things in my life that only you can do. 
and that we would be drawn back to that point again this Christmas, that if, if we begin to wander and look for satisfaction in other things, that Jesus just begins to stir our hearts again back to what He can do for us and, and to what He can uh, offer in our lives that only He can offer. Jesus is going to save your people from their sins. Josh, Joseph heard that message. And so this morning as we pray, I just want to ask that you would once again come back to that place of saying, Jesus, I, I know that you can do things in my life that only you can do. And I, I'm committed to just finding my satisfaction in you. And we know that Christmas is a season of consumerism and, and where you know there's a lot of good gift giving. But when it all gets quiet again in January... You need, to, you need to have that foundation that it's Jesus. It's Jesus that satisfies. It's Jesus that satisfies. And so this morning as we pray, I'm so thankful that, that there's a better Joshua. That because of what Jesus has done, that we can experience peace and hope and joy and love in our lives. And so as we pray, would you just, would you affirm in your heart, Jesus, I, I affirm that place that only you can hold in my life that you are my Savior, that you are the Prince of Peace in my life, and that I reach out to you again this Christmas season to know you in greater ways. Let's pray. So Lord, I thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that you knew that we, we needed a better Joshua. Jesus, you, you came to set us free, and in ways that no mere mortal could do, You came to bring us life in in ways that no man or woman can do. Lord, there's no one in our lives that can do for us and in us what you do. You call us to experience your life at work in us. And so, Lord, whether we're looking to a husband or to a wife or to a friend, whether we're looking for something under the tree this year that will fulfill uh, that hunger in our hearts, Lord, wherever it is, that we might be looking this morning. I pray that you would turn our hearts back to the direction of Jesus. Jesus, you are the one that will satisfy the longing of our hearts. It's only in you that we find the presence of God, that we can stand in the presence of God. It's only in you that we can find peace and freedom from the sin that wants to keep us in bondage. And so, Jesus, we, we lift up your name this morning. And I pray that you would do in us the things that only you can do. I pray that there would be a a fresh hunger in our hearts this Christmas to know you, Jesus, in a new way, to experience your presence in our lives in a deeper way, to experience the work that only you can do in our lives in new ways this Christmas. And so I thank you that you still heal, that you still deliver, that you still touch brokenness in our lives, that you still mend relationships that you still overcome fear and darkness and doubt in our hearts, that you still bring hope where there's despair. And Jesus, would you do that in our hearts today and in in the weeks ahead? And so we thank you for that reminder. We thank you that it's in you that we find hope. And as we go this morning, I pray that your presence would be so strong and so real in our lives that we would turn to you wholeheartedly once again. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. And we ask these things in the strong name of Jesus.
And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you this week, and, and remember that we needed a better Joshua, and Jesus came.